Hey everyone, this is David Hose, and you're listening to the Modern Attention Podcast, where I bring together D2C marketers and other experts to tell their stories about personal, professional, and brand growth. I hope you enjoy this episode. I'm pumped to introduce you to my guest, Sean McGinnis. Sean's the Senior VP of Marketing at Kuru Footwear, a brand that specializes in footwear that helps eliminate foot pain. I'm actually a customer of Kuru myself, and I can testify to their effectiveness. In this episode, I interview Sean about how he got his start in D2C, the unique origin story of Kuru, and really, we dig into the nitty-gritty of the business and learn how he thinks about it. Yeah, so Kuru Footwear has been around for over a decade. Um, one of these big sort of jokey questions that I have is how do you define direct-to-consumer? I think of us as a direct-to-consumer brand. You know, we only sell through our website. We don't sell through other marketplaces. Um, but, you know, there are those who would believe that, I think, uh, you know, if I read sort of all the D2C community on Twitter, that we maybe don't qualify as a D2C brand, right? We're not on Shopify. We're not spending most of our majority of our marketing in paid social. It's not a huge driver of the outcome of the business for us. Um, but yeah, we've been around for uh, since 2008. Our CEO, Brett Rasmussen, actually started the business on the heels of a, a business plan contest that he won in 2006 at the University of Utah. There's an entrepreneurial institute here called the Lassonde Entrepreneurial Institute. And he submitted a business plan as part of that contest in 2006 and won the grand prize. So. Um, his whole sort of the thesis of the business, <clears throat> excuse me, was what happens if you um, build uh, aftermarket shoe insert and orthotic materials directly into a shoe? Um, that was what he was focused on. Just he's not a shoe guy. He'd had no real shoe experience, hmm. but always had this. It's kind of an, you know, it, part of the narrative of the business. Actually, we've got um, sketches from him when he was like 13 or 14, you know, in pencil. Uh, of a shoe catalog with like strike through pricing and <laughs> now on sale. Wow. I mean, it's just absolutely <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. From middle school, uh, we've got that sitting in a folder in, in one of our conference rooms. It's just great. Um, he always wanted to be an entrepreneur. He got out of college uh, at BYU with a dual degree. And I think it was accounting and English, um, something like that, finance and English. And, um, you know, took a regular job, got laid off and was like, this is the time, this is the time to strike while the iron's hot. So he started the business in 08. The original business plan was to sell in a very traditional model, right? Um, I always embellish this part of the story a little bit, but pretty much while the shoes were on their way from Asia, on the water still, uh, Lehman Brothers declared bankruptcy, right? So right in the middle of the 2008 financial crisis, effectively. And so here you got this young guy who's staring at this mountain of inventory, for him at least, um, that represents every dollar he's ever saved or raised or borrowed and begged for. And he's like, now what? You know, how are we going to get, how are we going to dispose of this inventory? And it was really, truly kind of an originally a liquidation strategy. He went off and built himself a website um, and launched it. And the go-to-market plan was, I'm not even sure if this is going to do what I'm going to promise it is, but you know, the orthotic that we build in built in around the heel originally. Mm -hmm. And so he promised, well, it's going to help with foot pain. <laughs> There's this thing I've come to learn about called plantar fasciitis. And I think it's going to help. I, you know, the theory was, we'll see what happens. Either I'm going to have a bunch of unha unhappy customers or I'll just deal with that on the backside. And I'd say for the first five years of the business, he, you know, customers were, coming back constantly saying this helped with my foot pain it's amazing and he even thought ah it can't be right it's a placebo effect that there's no way this really helps um and today he's definitely become a believer he's turned it around for sure 
Um, so my conjunction, my um, uh, juncture with the business happened, I actually met Brett uh, through another sort of semi-famous D2C personality, Brian Garvin. He's the CMO of uh, 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 a ring company in Nashville, Tennessee. Brian actually lives out here in Salt Lake. And he connected us when I was leaving my last role. He was doing some consulting for, uh, for Brett on the side and, and connected us. So we talked initially probably September, October of 2019. Um, there was an opportunity that I sort of stumbled into that was too good to pass up. So I moved uh, to Knoxville and the plan was we were going to sell the house and I was going to lead a, an online retailer over there. Um, ultimately came back here and reconnected with Brett and had a conversation. So I joined Kuru in 20, uh, I'm sorry, that was 2018. So October, 2019 is when I joined uh, Kuru. Um, it's been a real fun ride so far. We're, we're doing some real fun things. Cool. Well, um, we talked a little bit about kind of some of the areas that you're focusing on right now. Um, do you want to kind of launch into kind of, I mean, it sound, sounds like you've been there for a number of months now and yeah. a number of those have been, uh, during COVID, which has probably made things even more interesting, but, um, yeah, I'd, I'd just be curious to hear kind of, um, what's top of mind for you right now and what are you uh, working to solve and, and what are you, what successes are you finding? Uh, gosh, yeah, I can go pretty deep on that. So we've, um, we're having a heck of a year. It's going to be the best year in the history of the company. Um, we were on that pace before COVID hit. COVID slowed us down a little bit in March. Um, when it first hit, um, we drew down on quite a bit of spend. I think we were a little too quick to do that, honestly, in hindsight. Um, had I do it to had I to do it all over again, I probably would have um, not quite reacted so quickly. Um, so I think it exacerbated the depth and length of the trough that we went through. Um, but um, as we came out of it in April, I mean, we we're on a run right now where um, January uh, was a little bit slower for us um, than our plan, and March was a little bit of a miss on the top line as well. But every other month of the year has been the best version of that month from a sales perspective in the history of the company. So February, we, we, we had the best February month. March, we were on pace to have the best March before COVID hit. It hit. April was the best April. May was the best sales month ever in the history of the company. So we're, we're having a lot of successes. Um, I mentioned earlier, you know, some people might not think of us as a true D2C brand because we don't drive the majority of our sales through paid social. It's a very, um, at least I'm, I've got a working hypothesis right now. We don't have quite the data to be able to prove this concept, but I think it aligns well with what we see when we look at the sort of surface level of, our, of the returns of our marketing investments. And so um, the primary ways that most people find Kuru Footwear if you're a new customer, or through top of funnel searches related to either a specific type of foot pain that they may have, uh -huh. um, a specific activity that they're looking for very comfortable shoes to go do, or there are certain careers where if you're on your feet all day, you tend to suffer a little bit more from this type of foot pain that we can alleviate. And so, you know, nursing, teachers when they're in school, right. um, <clears throat> warehouse workers, right? And so um, we, we tend to identify much more on the hand raisers of people who type into Google or Bing and, you know, I need, uh, what are the solutions to plantar fasciitis or can a shoe or a shoe insert, you know, help with plantar fasciitis? That's, that um, keyword became sort of the magic, you know, the easy button for the business for the first eight or 10 years. 
Today, we're expanding well beyond that. So if you go to our site today at kurufootwear.com, you'll see in our nav menu, um, we immediately break apart by gender. But within those, you can shop by foot pain type. You can shop soon by activities, you know, whether it's walking or hiking or hanging out at the beach or whatever, standing all day is a big one. Um, or you can um, soon uh, start to segment yourself by sort of um, career as well. So we'll select the specific styles of shoes that tend to be good fits for a lot of those. I mean, a lot of it, it's kind of duplicative. Um, for some certain types of foot pain, almost every shoe that because we build the orthotic in is going to help, you know, with that type right. of uh, foot pain, right? So um, that's been a really big focus in terms of a lot of the results that we tend to see. Um, so what we did when we when I first got there in October, we were working with a local digital agency. Um, we set, we broke that relationship and I started to build a, a local team in-house. And so one of the main priorities was to completely rebuild from the ground up all of our paid search accounts. Um, so that now we're driving probably six X the volume that we were getting from the oh, local wow. agency. Yeah. It's yeah. a huge opportunity. Mm -hmm. Um, I identified it that way pretty early on. Um, we sent the paid, uh, shopping engine to a local agency specialist that, that is a world renowned speaker on shopping engine, just feed management. It's so difficult. <laughs> uh, in my experience, um, I'd rather work with an expert in that, in that realm. We hired a paid social expert um, who brings a lot of experience to the table. And so he's full time on our account in house. Um, we've hired a copywriter who's rewriting a lot of the content around our product detail pages and things of that nature. Um, she brings with her seven years of local journalism experience. And so um, it's just a great time to be around sort of building a team. And we yeah. went and updated a lot of uh, things on our site as well. So we're constantly on a weekly basis you know, pushing new releases live and making improvements on the conversion rate and lots of other things. So um, that's been the focus in what I sort of call phase one, which is to like, let's go fix digital, right? There's plenty to do. There's still some upside there. Um, phase two will be to figure out how do we go broad? Um, so there's a lot of spend that we're, I'm sort of queuing up for 2021. I'm, Right now, auditioning PR firms. I'm having conversations with those. You know, I want to have one of those in a great relationship in place as we start to kick off 2021. Um, putting together some business cases around testing some other things, whether they'll be podcast sponsorships or, uh, you know, over the air or streaming TV, radio. Um, we've got to get sort of the brand awareness out there. there today, nobody knows who we are right? Um, not even in Salt Lake City. I sort of joke all the time, we're like the best kept secret in the Valley, right? We've got a 10-year track record of building incredible products, um, building a great audience. Our customers love us. The, the product reviews on our site, we push every single product review live on our site on, with regularity. So it's an auto-generated situation. We never delete a review. So if people come in and give us a, a credit review, it stays on the site. And yet most of our products are 4.5, 4.6, 4.7 out of five stars in terms of product reviews. Um, we've got thousands of customers who swear by Karoo and will never buy any other shoe and, you know, and are constantly pushing us, why don't you go build this type of shoe? I need one of these for work or I need one of these for, for leisure. Mm -hmm. um, so that's been, it's been really fun to sort of wade into that and experience and try to understand where our customers sort of live and how passionate they are about the brand. So. My, my focus is how do we tap into that energy and how do we sort of energize the, the base and do a better job of um, pushing into some of you in the product areas. You know, we're having really interesting conversations even with our product team as an example. 
Cool. So it sounds like you might have kind of a stronger return customer base um, at this ba at this point. That's like kind of really kept things uh, like setting a really strong foundation. It's it's been fascinating. So one of the things that I identified. So last year was not a great year for the business, and one of the issues that sort of at the core of it, I think that I identified pretty quickly, um, it, it seemed like we were leaning too heavily on that base. So I, hmm. put, put another way, it felt like we had a new customer acquisition problem, right? And so that was informing as I was analyzing the performance of the agency and the performance of the rest of the team, it seemed like we had that problem. And um, as we're measuring so far this year, it, we've seemed to have resolved that issue. So. Um, we're about 50-50 between new customers and returning customers. I don't know what the right mix of that is. Every time I say that, people are like, well, what's the right target? I honestly don't know what it should be. It's one of those benchmarks or KPIs I wish I had a better grasp of. Um, but I know we've got to continue to you know, build awareness and bring in more new customers so that we can sell them more and more pairs of shoes, right? So we're exploring things like, uh, you know, uh, more comprehensive referral programs. We've got one now, it's not marketed well, it's kind of hidden behind the login screen. You know, how do we turn that into a program that we can really promote? Um, so that I think that would be really interesting to explore as well. Cool, well, that sounds, um, yeah, the whole uh, new versus returning uh, question is, is definitely interesting. Um, it makes sense that you'd actually probably want something a little more even. Um, it's more about like, of the of the return customers, how long are they sticking around with you or something? Uh, probably like that. Yeah, the thing that I um, I think that's the major driver is that paid search issue, right? So if we're, if you're driving six x the number of clicks from the non branded, so we segment out paid search into brand and non brand, and so the non branded paid search uh, campaigns are the ones that were driving six x the clicks. You're bound to get more new customers by focusing on that as an avenue, right? So it's the still very efficient or relatively efficient way to to generate that that um, that new customer flow. Uh, but how do we raise awareness in a way that sort of um, so the real priority I'm looking at now is you know TV, radio. I even think our, our our company might be a really interesting experiment to do like a direct response TV, an infomercial, a short form, ten minute, explaining yeah. the technology. You know, we've got a really great explainer video coming that we're, you know, typically explainer videos are associated more on the B2B side, but for our technology, it's a great fit to be able to say, here's how this thing actually works in a way that helps eliminate foot pain. Or here, maybe it's just a proof point of, these guys say they eliminate foot pain, but like, come on, you know, everybody says that, right? Everyone's, everyone's shoe ads say they're comfortable. No, no, here's how this actually works, right? And so, um, but I've been thinking about how do we tap into the CEO's knowledge and passion for the brand and, and all of the history of the innovation that he's put into the shoe to really prove to people or explain to people, you know, there's some things we can go do to sort of, uh, you know, build that out a little bit more robustly. It feels like. That's cool. Well, um, let me, let me switch gears a little bit. Um, sure. We talked a little bit about um, kind of growing beyond digital. Um, you had mentioned something previously about uh, kind of looking forward, kind of influencing some product and inventory decisions across the business. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, it's, 2020 has been a great year for us, right? And with that great year comes inventory pressures of all things. Um, you know, uh, we import all of our, uh, all of our shoes are manufactured overseas. You know, we direct, we do all the design work here in the States. 
um, but that uh, knowledge is mostly residing in Asia. And so it takes us, I mean, historically, it's taken us about 90 days to get new product into our warehouse that we can then ship and, and get to you quickly. And so as demand started to increase, you know, all of the, we're all aware of the numbers of how e-commerce has shifted, right? The, the, um, more shoppers, more regularly, brick and mortar is not a place where you can go as, as frequently, or maybe people aren't as, as um, willing to, to go and shop that way. And so that's created some pressures on the inventory side. So I've really been digging in and, and partnering more closely with our product team and uh, our inventory management side. So we're pushing in every single way that we can and trying to get a little bit more predictive about, you know, when are we going to run out of this specific color or this specific shoe? Um, we've instituted sort of a, a little bit more of a formalized approach for how we're defining shoes as well. So we have um, about two thirds to three fourths of our colors we've defined as core colorways. And we want to make sure, <clears throat> excuse me, that we manage that inventory in a way that it never goes out of stock. There's no excuse for when some of that stuff goes out of stock. Uh -huh. um, if it's a black or black best-selling sneaker for men, it should always be in stock, right? Uh -huh. um, we've we've introduced this concept of a new of a limited edition colorway that we we're gonna order a certain you know a certain uh, shipment of that, and once they're gone, they're gone. So you know, come back to the site and grab it while you can. And so we're getting into this communication rhythm of letting all of our customers know. Hey, we've, we've designated this color as a limited edition, which has been really important as well. And then even to the point where we're having conversations or driving conversations around um, sizing and widths, right? So uh, there's no reason for you to know this, but every single time you uh, push into a new size run or a, a new width, it, there's a huge cost to the business, right? Um, Right now, we only offer, I think it's four of our styles in a wide width. And as a guy who wears an extra wide shoe, uh, it's, you know, we hear from our customers every day, you should either have all of your side, all your shoes available in wide widths or why don't, every time we do a new launch, we never do it in wide. So we're sort of kind of testing the waters. So we do that in sort of a core size run. If you think about a, you know, distribution curve, most of us sort of live in that meaty middle for men. It's like an eight to an 11, you know, how far into the smaller sizes and how high into the much larger sizes are you willing to push mm -hmm. as a, as a retailer, as a brand that, that manages these things. So we're having those really good and healthy conversations across the aisle and sort of cross-functionally with the product team, with the inventory team. So we're pushing into extreme sizes for many more of our shoes that will start in November. Um, I keep sort of pushing for more wide widths on our better selling shoes that we don't have those available in. And so we're, we're standardizing what that looks and feels like um, and building those sort of guardrails against it. You know, it's, we're still very much sort of a, a startup mode, I guess you'd call it. Right. I mean, even with 10 years of, of experience, um, you know, how do we think about building out process in a way that actually is repeatable and that we can sort of best serve the needs of our customers. And the other thing that we did was, um, this was a, a bit of a foolish mistake on my part, but I, it, it worked out great, but it was very time consuming. We sent an email to our entire email list and basically announced, say, hey, I'm introducing me, I'm new, um, would love to better understand from you. Uh, so just answer this quick one question survey for us in SurveyMonkey. And the question was, how can we better serve your needs? And so thousands and thousands and thousands of responses <laughs> that I had to sort through and try to build these categories, around, right? Like many of them were, I wish we had more wides or wish you had more colors. Well, what does more colors mean? Is it 
is it more fancy colors or more basic colors? Like you, you, the surface layer beneath all that. So we handed right. that over to the product team and they're having these jobs to be done interviews with our customers to better understand, well, when you say that, what do you really mean when you say that, right? And so uh, we've got all that feedback from customers. I read every single one of them. I sort of collated all that information, presented it. Some of it was marketing related. I wish you'd lower your prices or I wish you'd have more sales or I wish you'd have X, Y, Z. Um, we're a brand that doesn't do a lot of discounting. Um, we prefer to focus on selling the value of this being free from foot pain idea. Mm -hmm. um, and we have this really great sort of point system behind the scenes, kind of like our version of a Kohl's cash you know, where we give you points for every purchase that you make and we can award points based on contests and things, but we're not a heavy discounting brand. We're not going to be sort of the JC pennies of the, you know, here's 30% off or buy one, get one free. It's just not a, it's not the kind of stuff that we tend to run. So um, collating all that information and bringing it back in the business was really a great exercise. Um, and so we're trying to figure out how to build systems around that and teams around that. So we have a constant sort of uh, the ability to grab the pulse of our customer base in a much more robust fashion. Nice. I like that. You mentioned the discounting thing, which I feel like is a, um, I guess I can be a controversial uh, position in the DTC space. Cause there's lots of people who are saying, well, you know, we always do a discount pop-up, you know, because we want to um, acquire new customers that way. Um, so I think it's interesting that you're explicitly trying to like really, really focus more on how can we provide more value uh, can you talk a little bit more about kind of the thinking there and maybe like, do you think it applies to more businesses and that more people should be thinking about that? Or do you think it's kind of, it's more because of the business that you guys are in in particular? Yeah, I think it makes, I think because of the business we're in, it's definitely easier for us to get away with it for sure. Um, it, it, ultimately every business in my mind should be testing those things and then following the data. Right. And so what you need, you really need the ability to track, the lifetime value or at least the, the short-term lifetime value of that customer base. Um, and so for a business, for example, I forget which business it was, it was a razor blade subscription company that basically said, hey, we're gonna offer you free, free blades for life, right? That dramatically impacted the overall health of the business in a really good way. Um, it might've been Patrick's business. But it's just, it's fascinating to watch and I think experiment with those ideas, right? How can, in fact, just today, um, based on um, some information that I saw recently, we're talking now about for the first time ever potentially instituting like a giveaway, a weekly giveaway for basically, if you're on our email list and you've got an account in our business, we're gonna give away a certain number to keep, to, to, to in enhance the number of signups on our email newsletter and keep more people around for a longer period of time. Mm -hmm. um, so we're emailing people pretty frequently today, these days because of these new changes we're making that are sort of transactional. Hey, this shoe's back in stock. Make sure you check it out, right? We didn't even have back in stock functionality in the site until a couple <laughs> weeks ago. It's like all these things, you know, e-commerce doesn't have to be hard. It really doesn't. And yet when you inherit a site that all those things have been overlooked, um, you know, for good reason, right? So the, the, the I think the general philosophy with uh, comes from our CEO. He's a very firm believer that if, if you're going to lean heavily in discounting, all you're really doing is training your customer base to wait for the discount. Yeah. Right. Um, if you think about JC Penney and the pain that they went through when they hired uh, the executive from Apple who tried to turn away from that, like you've trained your customer base over 30 years to be bargain shoppers and well, that, that and to, beyond too. Yeah. Like they did. I mean, they always send out those coupons. And so 
you're always just waiting. Oh, uh, well, I'm not going to go to Bed Bath & Beyond until after I get that 20% off coupon in the mail. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And so the, you know, the, in, in, the, our way around that, you know, a lot of the feedback that I got from customers when I asked that survey was, gosh, I wish your prices were lower. I wish you'd have a sale. I wish you'd do this. So we're planning on attacking that through a payment system. You know, we're a couple of weeks away from going live with Sezzle on our, our payment option. And it's like, we want to we want to take care of our customers, but not at the expense of uh, impacting the the bottom line of the business. It's just not a healthy thing to do, and from our perspective. Um, so the question then becomes, you know, based on the scale of the business, where is your pricing optimally placed in a way that takes that brings in as as, ma as many new customers as possible, uh, based on the price point, right? Where does that sit? And those are negotiations we have every time we launch a new shoe. Where should we price this shoe at? Where does it live? How do we rationalize it in sort of the overall lineup? Where's the perceived value? Um, and what's that do to the bottom line of the business, right? We, um, it's, it's fascinating and it's a, I, between that and the inventory management and some of these other things, I like to think of myself as sort of a generalist. And so I've been tackling and at least been involved with some of the more fascinating business challenges in my career and I really have enjoyed it. So it's been a great year. That's cool. Um, one question that came to mind while you're talking about that, uh, all this is, um, I'm curious if you look kind of laterally to other shoe companies when, and kind of like seeing, you know, what are the, the Nikes of the world, the Adidas of the world doing in footwear, um, even just around marketing, you know, um, like having athletes or something like that kind of be, become connected with the brand in, um, a close way. Do you see that anything like that, um, you know, being something that would make sense for uh, you guys, or is that um, you think because of the type of uh, footwear that you guys sell, it's not as much of a good fit? Yeah, I, my instinct is it's probably not, but I'm not foreclosing the possibility either. I think the bigger we get, the greater the likelihood we'll test something like that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, with the kind of growth we've had this year and we expect next, next year, anything's possible. You know, we don't, that's another great example of how we're probably not perceived to be a traditional D to C brand. We don't do influencer marketing. Um, I do see a huge opportunity for us to instead focus on our customer base through more of like a brand ambassador program, right? How do we turbocharge and energize that customer base to get them talking about us in a way where it creates these referrals, right? It's a, it's a neighbor to neighbor referral or a family member to a family member referral. That feels like a great fit. Finding podcasts that we can go sponsor where the, the, spon the, the host actually has foot pain and can uh -huh. speak authentically about how we helped eliminate that foot pain. I'm all about that. Um, you know, paying an athlete, I, we're just not um, really configured even to be able to, to probably absorb the demand that might create yeah. <laughs> or, nor fund, you know, what their expectations would be. Um, you know, we get that a lot in terms of, uh, you know, traditional influencers reaching out through a contact form saying, hey, I've got an Instagram thing and I'm out in the mountains all the time. It's like, yeah, nah, not really super interested in that. Um, we have a couple of affiliates that do really great for us and we're always interested in more. You know, a lot of the um, kind of affiliate-like um, work that's been done has been, it just happened organically, right? An editor includes us in a roundup post and we're not even paying for that. And, um, you know, we're in a couple of really good articles through really main, mainstream media publishers that have, have driven some significant business this year. Love to replicate that, love to find out, you know, build out a team that can go tackle that and hopefully the PR firm can help with it but small, small ball influencers that are, you know, or even big name influencers. I just can't see 
I think the other big issue for us is, um, uh, I, I tell our CEO all the time, uh, our customers, there's almost no common thread, right? They can be anybody. Um, the only thing that our customers have in common is they have two feet, one of them hurts, right? Like that's, <laughs> it's that simple. Right. And so where you live in the country, how much money you make, your gender, your age, like it just doesn't matter. The numbers definitely skew um, uh, when you get to be my age, the, the likelihood of you having foot pain goes up, right? I'm, I'm over 50. And so um, two thirds of our customers are 40, 45 plus and two thirds are women. Um, so finding that right influencer, maybe that fits that demographic mold might be a really interesting uh, thing to explore. Um, I don't see that being a 25 year old NBA player, right? right. Yeah. Um, unless it happens organically, you know, Brett, um, our CEO was at a big conference here in, in Salt Lake. And one of the speakers on stage was a huge name in the VC community from the Valley. And he was out talking about us and Brett looks up and he's like, that looks like a Kuru logo on the bottom of that guy's shoe. <laughs> was up and he's a huge, he's a huge customer. He's got multiple pairs of shoes. Right. So like I'd almost rather tap into someone like that and get him talking about, um, about Kuru than I would to go find someone who's, playing for the NFL or NHL or, you know. Yeah. Well, you mentioned um, earlier about um, kind of this extensive research. You, well, I'd say you basically sent out this survey to your customer yeah. base, um, mm -hmm. you know, really looking to your customers to, for that feedback um, and getting that sort of one-to-one -one response of like, how could we improve? Sure. Um, what was your thinking going into that? And how do you feel like, um, I guess, how could other brands benefit from doing something like that? Boy, it was, um, we, we've really focused this year. I think the, the main driver was um, we've latched onto this idea of um, jobs to be done framework. I, I don't know if you're familiar at all with that, but mm -hmm. it typically applies in sort of a product development way um, around, you know, identifying the jobs that your customers hire your product to do for them. And what are the competing um, products that they might instead hire. It might be another shoe, pair of shoes. It might be to go barefoot. It might be anything, any number of things to not do that activity. Right. And so uh, we, as we embraced that as a sort of operating philosophy as a business, it was important. I thought from, from my perspective to get up to speed a little bit more quickly and, and asking that even in an open-ended way, I think let customers just vent, right. There were, I got re responses that people were on our email list, but they never bought from us. <laughs> Your stuff's too expensive. I can't buy, I can't afford it. You know, I don't even know what to tell you, but um, many other folks were like, oh my gosh, I've got nine pairs of Kuru's and I really wish you didn't discontinue this shoe. Or I really wish that you had more wides or I wish you had more, you know, extended sizes or I need this specific thing. Um, you know, one of our shoes, for example, has a non-slip, um, uh, 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 outsole on it, specifically designed for restaurant workers and healthcare workers where you're in these environments where there can be liquid on the floor and you can actually put yourself at risk. Come to find out some of our older customers love those shoes as well because the, just the little grippiness makes it less likely that they're going to maybe slip and fall, right? And so how do we lean into that as a technology and better the current, every version of that right now is a leather upper. We had some people specifically ask for, give me a mesh upper with a non-slip surface on the, on the bottom. 
okay, we can then sort of put that into the queue from a product development um, pers uh, perspective and understand how big that market may or may not be and then just prioritize what, if or when that gets built out, right? Mm -hmm. So it's been, um, we're still really lean and so I felt like I could um, uh, play a, a small role in helping the product team to understand what our customers are saying. And so I think creating that culture where we're constantly looking for feedback um, I think was really instrumental in, in getting the business to really a, a more um, more firmly embrace that job speed on framework and also just be in, more in listening mode to our customers. You know, there's the, 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 the risk there is, oh, the customers, they always say that, but they don't know what they're talking about, right? Like that, that's, the, that's the downside risk of if you're not going to be open to that feedback and really listen and act on it. So I think it can apply to other businesses. I think it just depends, right? Yeah, and what sure. do you think? Do you think it applies? I mean, I think it's always good to listen to your customers. Um, mm -hmm. I think you do have to kind of read through the between the lines sometimes. Yeah. Because um, sometimes they're not uh, saying exactly like what you need to make mm -hmm. or, or create. Um, but I think, you know, with enough feedback from multiple people, you might start kind of triangulating like, oh, you know what, there's a theme here. And what can we do that really maybe solves for that. Or maybe maybe there's some sort of domino that we can, you know, tip over here that actually solves multiple problems downstream. So yeah, it's it's fascinating. Some of the things they were specifically asking for, they've been asking for for years. And in fact, we have already been building. And so it's just a matter of them being a little patient, you know, mm -hmm. good, really good example. I mean, there were I think one of the top five requests was, please build a sandal with no um, center toe post, right? You get the traditional sort of flip-flops that have that, that toe post. Our customers have feet that are experiencing a lot of pain sometimes. And so, you know, a lot of folks were like, I can't wear those. It's just too painful. So, you know, what do you got coming? And so, um, you know, we've got two different variations, a men's and a women's, um, different, totally different use case. Um, but two different sandals that are coming in the spring that will not have toe posts, right? And so um, I, at the end of the day, the presentation I made to the product team and to the marketing team, I focused on the top two or three requested things based on that categorization process that I sort of tried to run. And a lot of it's like, you know, it's a one-off. I only got that request once. We'll circle back to that and revisit. But for right now, these seem to be the really big areas where there's enough density to go and, and make movement, you know, move the business in a direction that we can then, you know, tell our customers, hey, you spoke and we heard, here's this thing you specifically asked for, right? Uh -huh. Right, that's great. Yeah. Well, um, I don't wanna keep you too long. Um, I wanted to kind of wrap up with a couple of questions here. Um, first one is, um, what sort of advice would you either give to your younger self or to um, kind of younger folks who are uh, in similar roles to you or who are kind of maybe wanting to someday be in roles uh, like yours, what, what sort of advice would you share with them? Yeah, I'll take the last question probably. I think the, um, the advice that I always give to young marketers is, um, or maybe it's better said in the opposite. I see a lot of younger marketers who want to become generalists right out of the gate. And I think it's really important that you become an incredibly knowledgeable specialist about an idea, a channel, of a discipline, a focus, right? Whether that's CRO, whether that's email, whether that's paid search or paid social or SEO or whatever, uh, become incredibly knowledgeable about that thing and then figure out 
how to build that, you know, go deep in that discipline and then figure out the next discipline to start learning, even just a, a top level surface area of. Um, Bryant actually had a great post on Twitter recently talking about, you know, business needs both specialists and generalists, right? Every specialist thinks they know enough about what's happening in the business and that's oftentimes not the case. And most generalists like me, you know, think that they can go and dive deep in every single area. And that's not true either. And so you, you do kind of need both. But what I see more often than not is people want to be perceived as a strategist or a generalist who can sort of drive business results. And I think that comes with some experience or some learnings, right? If you're, if you're coming in as an entrepreneur and you're going to go fail a, a bunch of times and learn from those failings along the way, you're going to get really good really quickly, right? So right, right. that's the flip side of that. But generally what I see is um, I led a big digital team in an agency of about 150 people. Most people want to elevate their careers to the next level. And usually that happens by becoming an expert in that um, discipline and then figuring out how to manage people or manage process or manage budget in a way that's, more extraordinary than the rest of the folks that are operating in that discipline. Awesome. That's great advice. Um, well, um, I guess then my other question then is, uh, how can people keep in touch with you and um, kind of follow what you're up to moving forward? Yeah, I, we, it's funny. We don't share a whole lot. Um, I'm looking for ways to try to maybe solve for that and be willing to share a little bit more, you know, without <laughs> giving too much. We're still a privately held company, so we've raised very little funding. Um, and so, you know, my obligation to the CEO and the board is one of like, you, we've got to you know, keep it a little bit close to the best, but you can find me on Twitter. It's Sean McGinnis, S-E-A-N-M-C-G-I-N-N-I-S. Same name on LinkedIn. If you run a search in Google, you'll find me on Facebook and LinkedIn. And I tend to keep Facebook more for personal people that I've actually had a conversation with, but LinkedIn and, um, and Twitter, Twitter certainly obviously wide open. LinkedIn, I usually can accept most connection requests, but if you follow up that connection request with immediate pitch, I'm going to remove that connection and, yeah. <laughs> and delete that message. You know, find a way to actually add value and build a relationship before you come to the ask. That's my recommendation on that side. But for sure, yeah. Well, this has been super awesome, and I think there's been a ton of value that people are going to get out of this. So I appreciate you coming on, and yeah, um, yeah. Uh, give him a follow on. Twitter or LinkedIn. And uh, yeah, I hope we can keep in touch. Yeah. Thanks for having me, David. It's been a real pleasure. Modern Intention is brought to you by ConverseSmart, the agency that helps e-commerce brands like yours drive more incremental revenue by helping you build highly engaged owned SMS and email audiences. Thanks for listening to another episode of our podcast.